0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Hello. Is it raining on my raspberry patch in the back? I think it is. I came home from vacation and it has just been best decision I ever made my entire life. It's putting a bunch of raspberry bushes back by my back door. It's Minnesota awesomeness. I go out there in my slippers with my coffee, and I eat a couple of raspberries. That's living. You can't do any better than that. All right, so here's what's going on today. It's raining. Stick close to the radio. We're going to have a good time. I have a bunch of raspberry recipes up on the website. Can you make a tart and put all your raspberries in it? Yeah, you could do that. That would look cute. And you bring it to your friend's house, and they think you're a French chef. I also got an actual French chef. Well, it's French-ish. Runs a French restaurant. All right, Gavin Kaysen is here. If you don't know about the name, the influence of Gavin Kaysen, you have not been in Minneapolis Low these five years because we're heading into the five-year anniversary of when Gavin Kaysen, hometown boy, went out to New York City, made his name in fancy French restaurants, working for people like Daniel Boulud. He came back, opened Spoon and Stable. It's a sensation. Then... He opened Bellicor and Weizetta, another sensation. Then he opened the smallest restaurant in the world, or that's how I think of it anyway. <laughs> Demi, which is in uh, or Demi, which is in downtown Minneapolis, which I just reviewed in the winter time for Minneapolis Saint Paul Magazine. Like I do, loved it. Even though it's a bit fussy and I'm a bit over tasting menus, this was so beyond the beyond that I loved it to bits. And so I thought, let's get Gavin Kaysen in here. Let's kind of do a, uh, how has it been for him? It's obviously very good for Minneapolis, but let's get the kind of the other side, the other side of the story. Um, so that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. This rainy hour, Gavin Kaysen, welcome to this show.
2: Thank you. Happy to be here.
1: All right. So five years.
2: I know it's crazy. Yeah, five years. So I moved home five years ago, June first. My last day at Cafe blue would have been May thirty first. So yeah. Five years home,
1: yeah, and it was it was like a weird event in New York City media where people were like, "Oh, Minnesota is coming into the own. It's a, taking uh, chefs from New York City," and everybody here was like, mm, "We've been here the whole time. Like, what what are you talking about?" But it was it was a big deal, kind of a shot across the bow for New York. Your prices are too high. People can't afford to live here. Is was yeah. that part of it?
2: Well, I mean, my, my biggest thing was that I had been there for just shy of eight years. Um, and my wife and I at the time, our boys were three and five and they're now seven and 10. And so we just started to think about like, where do we want to live and where do we want to raise the kids? And then how do we want to create a business around that? And um, obviously, since I grew up here, it, it was it was clear to look here to see if the right spaces were available. And it just kind of fell into place very quickly. In fact, I remember... Around this time, five years ago, I was unpacking all of my stuff in the house as we were moving in, and you called me for an interview uh, <laughs> for the magazine to say, "Okay, tell me what Spoon and Stable going to be." Well, at the time, it was Merchant because we oh, had changed right. the name. Uh, so we had we originally thought we were going to name it Merchant, and then we changed it. So, you know it it was it was a surprise to the media, and it was a surprise to my colleagues that were close to me. Although I didn't expect it to be, just because. I had been planning it for so long in my mind and I had been planning it with Danielle for so long that once the departure came, it was like an obvious thing that was going to happen. But then all of a sudden people really started to pay attention to the fact that we were leaving New York City. But not only that, we were leaving it to come to Minneapolis and that – you know, I think I was talking to a guest at Spoon and Stable the other night um, who I worked with in New York for a while and he travels around the country all the time now for for business and he's just like it's so – fascinating and thrilling to you know travel to smaller cities that are not the new york and the la san francisco chicago and and these smaller cities are are having chefs that have cooked in these big cities and now they're moving back home
1: yeah i just wrote a piece about this wine bar natural wine bar the first natural wine bar in the history of minnesota is coming to washington up near broadway uh, next fall and i was talking to the the owners and they were one of them is a chef who was relocated here from san francisco mm. uh and he had come before this opportunity uh, presented itself i was talking to the woman who's sort of managing the wine program jill mott and she and i was kind of poking her i was like well are people are really going to be able to afford for these no you know these no intervention wines they can yeah, part of the reason we have all these preserving and chemical interventions is because it lowers the price. And mm-hmm. so, you know, are there is there enough people to pay this $12 and $15 glass wine? And she said "There's so many people that have moved here from San Francisco and New York who are just looking for this experience because they love these wines so mm-hmm. much. Uh, and I think that's, um, you know, kind of a hole in my vision. I don't think that I've realized that we've had this massive influx of people. But when I talk in the restaurant community – there's San Francisco transplants all over.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's true. you
1: Can't afford up anywhere to live, then you can't afford anywhere to live. It's basic.
2: Yeah, I mean James Passifero, who's our new chef to cuisine at Spoon and Stable, newish. I mean he's been there for a while now, but um, he came from San Francisco and from the Michael Mina crew over there. Um, and you know we've seen we've seen chefs you know who work for us move from different parts, even servers move from different parts of the country to come out here and work with our crew. And if they're from San Francisco or LA or Chicago or New York or or, or larger cities, it's a lot of it is the for, the affordability. And I think also there's there is a um, kind of a sense of discovery here in a way, meaning that you know people are open and willing to see new things and be a part of new things. That's why I'm sure the natural wine, uh, what they're going to open up with the natural wine, is probably quite exciting because they see a hole for it, and people are excited to see that and discover it.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll see. And so, OK, so you came as part of this kind of rebalancing of the country. And how has it been? Obviously, Spoon and Stable was, you know, the the it was the trendiest, the hottest, the on fire. The, you know, five years ago, it changed the city four and a half years ago. What uh, what was that like to step into this sort of maelstrom?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, in hindsight, I'm not sure I could have ever have been ready for what that meant, um, nor did I. Anticipate it, expect it, or read much into it at the time. It was just too busy to really even notice that it was happening. Now that I look back on it, I think that what spoon what spoon did is it helped um, give people a different way of serving, a different way of cooking. When I came in, I remember having a meeting with all of my cooks and saying, "We're not going to change the way that we train you because we're in Minnesota. You know, don't expect anything to be different from from how I work. I'm going to work exactly the same way." I've always done it, and I expect everybody to work the way that, that we want you to. Um, and I think that it helped create a lot of that energy and that, and that buzz. The restaurant had a ton of energy behind it when it opened, as you said. I mean, it was kind of insane. Um, it was. It was insane. I mean, watching it and then seeing it. And when I really recognized it is when we started to think about a new restaurant, when we started to think about Belcour and opening that, one of the conversations that we all had internally was like, okay, well we cannot expect it to be that same energetic opening that spoon and stable was like, that doesn't happen. You know, you you do that once and that's kind of it. So that's done. Um, Now you just start to start to have to, you know, Make some great music after that too, right? So you can't just have the one hit wonder. Um,
1: and did that turn out to be true? Was Belcor a slower open? I mean, it is um, far, it is in Weizetta, so it's on the lake. It's farther out of the. It's not doesn't have the population density.
2: Yeah, I think I think Belcor didn't have the same amount of energy that Spoon would have had just because the expectation. I think what surprised people with Belcor was that I went to Weizetta to open up a second restaurant. I think that was more of a talking point. Um, locally was that, okay, now he's going to Wyzetta. So what does that mean? And that sort of shifted the way people thought. And it was great for the city of Wyzetta for us to be able to go there and for us to be able to 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 do business in that city. Um, it's a great little building and we love having the bakery there and showcasing what Diane and her team can do. Um, and it's been really great for the community. This last weekend, we did Bastille Day. We had a huge party in the parking lot uh, the city granted us the permits to make it bigger than we did last year, and it was like two or three times bigger. Uh, we were able to get some great sponsors out of President Cheese and, and, and Nestle Waters, and we could donate funds to Folds of Honor, which was always my goal of Bastille Day was to create an event that was really for the community so then we could pay back to the community. Um, and I like that we can do that out there. You know, I wouldn't have the same flexibility necessarily to do it down here.
1: Folds of Honor is
2: so. Folds of Honor is is an organization. the the chap the Minnesota chapter president just lives in Wayzata as well, so it helps give back to families who have been away uh, for service.
1: Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah. Okay, so so that was the trajectory, and then now let's talk about Dem. I always want to call it Demi, but it's Demi, right? Demi. So yeah. More it's yeah. a simpler pronunciation. I okay, think yeah. so Demi. Demi was a. You always explain to it to me as well. We have this tiny space, so we had to do something. Yeah. That doesn't really make sense to me because what, you know, just because you have a tiny space doesn't mean you put a ticketed, you know, 29 million course, uh, you know, <laughs> it's got a national calling card event space in it for tw- 20 seats. Mm-hmm. So tell me about that. What was that? Is that like because you want to compete with Thomas Keller and you want to get the San Pellegrino Best 50 Restaurants in the World awards and you want that or what was it that made you want to you want to mm. do that kind of food in a way that you know the the nice thing about the enormous tasting menus I understand is that it allows you to make art in mm-hmm. those spaces you're not requiring someone to want to order you know the octopus you're they're getting the octopus
2: yeah i think a part of it is the creativity side of thing i mean being at you know watching spoon evolve in the last 5 years we've seen you know the creativity of spoon evolve but with that we also see that there are craveable items that stay on the menu the pork chop has been on the menu since basically day 1 it's this great tamarind glazed pork chop the garnish might change but effectively the dish never changes bison tartare has been on since day 1 things like that so i mean as a chef there is a creative um, there is a creative creativity that kind of pulls you and draws you away from that and says, okay, now what else can we do? When we opened up Bell, it was like, how do I cook this beautiful classic comfort French food that I would eat on a weekly, daily basis, whatever it might be, when I can get there? And then Demi happened because of the space was behind Spoon. I mean, it was really the proximity to Spoon and Stable. I just,
1: I just will never believe this. Even you could tell me no, for years true. and to my face. It doesn't make any sense. Just because there's a tiny space doesn't mean you put something so – artsy in it you could have done other things such as ignore it or use it for bucket storage
2: yeah like, but it was it, what i liked about it was i liked that the i liked that it wasn't street side you know it was kind of pushed back from the street so it sort of had this this look to it where you had to walk up the street i mean think about it you're building a restaurant the first thing you talk about is how do we get the word of mouth strong enough that when people are walking past they see the bar full and they walk in that's why most bars are up by the front window is because you want the guests to see it busy, and so then they look at it and they say, "Well, it must be good because it's busy." Let's go in here.
1: I don't think that's Minnesota culture there, because I can think of many bars that are busy that you can't see at all. Uh, Marvel Bar across the street from sure. you. Yeah, Matt's I mean that's a destination. Has been, you know, had a flat front with nothing visible from the street since I don't know the 1960s. Mm-hmm. I mean, so
2: but those are two destination bars. You know, I mean, I'm talking about restaurant bars, not okay. actual just bars. And you walk, you know, you drive down downtown here, and you drive past just to come to the studio. And the three restaurants I passed, all their bars are street side. So we we tried to look at it and say, how do we build a restaurant where you're you're kind of not looking for walk in traffic, so to speak, because of the ticket idea, and the tasting menu. And so the whole intention of the restaurant was to open up something that would give us a lot of creativity, a lot of freedom, have a lot of fun. Um, the so you're San telling me, so let me just 50, n- like Nail this those, down,
1: if. Uh, if the, the space next to you had stretched to the street and had a hundred seats, uh, you never have made Demi.
2: I would not have made Demi.
1: Really? You wouldn't have found another place to make it in downtown? It wouldn't oh, have been a uh, Oh, in another story? place? Yeah. I
2: thought you meant in that same place. No, nothing that big. Uh, perhaps I would, but we looked at a lot of spaces prior to Demi. Um, I'm not sure that we were looking for a space that was like that small, um, but we were looking for spaces to possibly do something else in.
1: And would it but, have been this more artistic, more? That was complex- the
2: goal. Yeah, to find the right thing, and I think we just needed to find the right space to do it. Okay. I mean that 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 was that was the key. And that's I mean, my hunch. The, the, as I
1: push you to do this, as I think well, the, my hunch was that you wanted to do something. We did, like but the, that. the
2: proximity to Spoon is what really kind of sold me on it. Just knowing that it was so close, So then that way I could bounce back and forth in between those two restaurants. And then having it having it that close for us was was it ha- has been gold.
1: I bet. All right, we're going to take a little break here. We're going to come back, and we're going to have some more time with Gavin Kaysen. You have some uh, questions for Mister Gavin Kaysen. You can text us, and I will read them questions on the air. All right, Dara here. I'm talking to Gavin. He has been the chef that has, has really brought the Twin Cities to national claims, much as I feel that we ought, ought to have been having national claim beforehand. Um, that's how life works. Relationships. He has a lot of relationships with New York, and they have taken the notice. All right. So it is about five years in. Uh, Mr. Gavin Case moved here last June, opened – and not last June, moved five years ago, June – Uh, Opened five years ago this coming November, whatever the future past of that is. You get the idea. And I really wanted to find out um, about sort of his perspective on things. Okay, so now let's continue to talk about Demi, which Mm -hmm. is very interesting. Okay, so I gave it a rave review. I loved it. Hard to get tickets, but that's uh, fine. Mm -hmm. What are you who is this for?
2: Well, as as we've kind of seen in the last six months, <clears throat> it's been for everybody, which is exciting. Um, and when I when I say that, I mean we've had a ton of locals come in. We've had we had a guest the other night uh, fly in from North Carolina to eat there. Okay, and one guest,
1: or like guests, two a guests, a couple, a couple you know, flew in from North Carolina. Yeah, All
2: right. yeah, they flew in from North. I was just walking around. Or I dropped I dropped their pre dessert for them. And we were talking about the pre dessert and then I said, Oh, where you know, where are you from? And they said, We live in North Carolina and we flew here to have dinner here. Um so I mean that's that's always flattering and inspiring to hear and and exciting to know that uh people are looking um at that restaurant to do that. And what also excites me about that is that I know, you know, they'll have dinner at Demi and then they're gonna go have, you know, lunch at Young Joni the next day, dinner at Grand Cafe that night, or over to Bar La Grasse or whatever. But the point is is that I think that's what's that's what I see happening is that the people that fly in they're here for the weekend and they kind of make a little staycation or a vacation out of it and then and then travel around. So we've seen a lot of people in, but it it's been but a But it's
1: mainly like you're selling out. You've got a couple of runs of tickets now. I think it's still as hard to get tickets as yeah, it Yeah, so right
2: now it's sold out till September 1st. Um so the tickets go on sale the 1st of the month at noon on the website. And it's 150 times easier to book it on the website. If people call us, there's nothing that we can do because it has to be done by you um, because you're purchasing the ticket for the restaurant ahead of time. So, um, so August sold out quite quick. Thanks to, uh, the reviews like yours that came out and cause they, that, that came out when July was already sold out. So then people took notice and said, okay, I'll get in on the August one. Um, so that's been that's been great, but that's the best way but, to do so it. So
1: it's still still mainly Minnesotans and still selling out in under five minutes, kind of thing.
2: It is, yeah, yeah. August sold out in about three,
1: three minutes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So there's only 40 tickets a night. So, that's it. Yeah, uh, it's not like you're you know selling out Target Center, right? Okay, so but it's for who is it for? Do you think?
2: I think it's been for everybody that I've seen. For I mean, everybody, you know, not for everybody. Well, right, maybe not, but it's, it, it hasn't been.
1: It's delightful. Yeah. It's a whole night. It's like it's instead of going to theater, you're spending your, you know, two three hundred bucks by the time you're all done on this lovely dinner, which is, yeah. I, in my opinion, completely a thousand percent worth it. Yeah. But you know, not for everybody. But it's uh, it's for it's for this market. That's mainly who's buying the tickets.
2: Yeah, we've seen a lot.
1: And is it your Spoon Stable and Bellcore clientele?
2: It has been a majority of them and guests that we haven't seen at either Spoon or Bellcore. I mean, we had four guests in last night that, you know, that was their first time at Demi. They've never been to Spoon. They've never been to Bell. They've read about both, but then they got into Demi.
1: See, this stuff is interesting to me because it tells me things about the community that we live in in ways that you kind of can't get to. It's like... What are people's priorities? What are they doing with their time? What are they supporting? You know, so I see people out and about in spaces and you think, oh, look, it's 20 people at the Esker Grove, which is the restaurant at the Walker. You know, so it's 20 people at an Esker Grove brunch and pretty clear that this family does this routinely. Yeah. So that's Mm -hmm. interesting. It's like that tells me something about the people in the community or you go into Grand Szechuan, this Chinese place that I love in mm-hmm. Bloomington. And you'll just see, you know, boring parking lot, looks like nothing from the street, open the door on a Saturday afternoon. It is full, you know, mm-hmm. back and forth, just tables after tables of people just having luxurious long lunches. And that tells me something about who lives here. And so it's uh, it's interesting to think that there is that level of appreciation of food and that level of money behind it that, mm-hmm. that you know, that you're able to, to sell that through every every season. Very interesting. Okay. And so I'm not going to bother you with the what's next because you just did a big thing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. Thanks. Because right now, nothing next.
1: <laughs> but it's turned into, you know, what you have now is a lot to manage. How many employees do you have, roughly? So
2: we have about a little over 250 employees.
1: That's a lot of people. It
2: is. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been, you know, to see that sort of happen in five years is pretty insane. Uh, we just did... Uh, we do a thing every year, a de- what we call Development Day. Um, so we close the restaurants down and we bring the whole team together. We did it at the Walker Arts Center this year. It's called Nourish. This year was called Nourish, uh, and we. It's about. It's a long day. I mean, it's eight hours, but it's like six TED TED talks, you know. And we bring in these great speakers from around the country um, that have all these different perspectives of living and how to live. And it, it was a really inspiring day. I mean, it was something that I would I would. Um, it's something that I would recommend to every restaurant group out there because it was it was so awesome to see our team uh, come together and meet each other. Because of course, the team at Spoon and Stable might not know everybody at the team at Belcor uh, or the team at Demi or whatever, because everyone's busy and doing their own thing. So this was a day where we could all get together and hang out, and it was it was really really special. But yeah, over 250 employees, it's pretty crazy.
1: And so, uh, how do you feel about the coming minimum wage increases in the cities?
2: It's going to be intense. I mean, I think it's going to change the way that the restaurant businesses are thought of and created for sure. Um, I think everybody's starting to think about that if they haven't. Are like you they're starting to? You
1: know, starting to kind of toy around with restructuring plans or how to make it
2: Yeah, we're trying to we're trying to dive into all the P&Ls, all the profit and loss statements to try to figure out what makes the most sense. You know, how do you how do you create the same type of experience um when the minimum wage changes and what does that look like for the team and what does it look like for the current group of employees that you have. I mean, we're fortunate to have a great group of people that have been with us since day one of Spoon. Um, And so that tells me that they feel financially comfortable where they are. And I feel a responsibility to making sure that they continue to feel that way. Um, So figuring out whatever that means with the minimum wage change is going to be important, no doubt about it.
1: All right, let's, let's talk about some other things so you got here almost five years ago I'm kind of curious on your perspective you know how your perspective has changed living here I've kind of noticed that uh, it seems like you've you've accepted that Minnesotans do not eat dinner at 10 o'clock at night <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> tell me about that tell me about what you have learned about Minnesota which has impacted your restaurant world life?
2: Well, I mean, I think the one thing is that I've learned, which I knew, and probably one of the reasons why I came back was the quality of life um, <clears throat> and how important that is and how important that is for family family life and things like that. And we practice that in the restaurant group. I mean, if, if somebody needs time off for something with their family, we practice that that's, we want you to take that time off. If you have two days off, we don't want you to answer the emails you know, on your two days off, we would like you f- to be away for those two days and then come back refreshed. So, I think that has changed a lot for me because in New York, it's not really the same <laughs> mentality. Yeah, I was talking um, to David
1: Fima, who's been a, a pillar of the restaurant community for a long time, and yeah. he's he's militant about the five on two off. He just says, you know, I I don't even want people on the floor. You know, that sixth day they are useless to me.
2: Yeah. So. Yeah, and most of our team, for the, for the most part, especially in the kitchen, our our goal is to do four days, and then three days off. Because if there are the weeks which happens where we need you for an extra day because somebody's on vacation or called out sick or whatever it might be, um, where we feel better about requesting a fifth day, but not feeling okay about requesting a sixth day.
1: Yeah, because then you might have a fall off in service, or you might have someone burst into tears exactly. over the silverware, or. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's, like it's just not worth want. it, you know.
2: <laughs> so, you know, that's that has been that has been a pleasant um confirmation of what I thought it would be like when moving back home for sure. Um also just watching the restaurant scene change pretty dynamically in the last five years because and I only say five years because that's when I've been home. I watched it change when I was not here too. Um but of course being so immersed in it now, you know, you see it change even more and more and more. So it's it's been Fun to watch that dynamic change. It makes me sad when I see places like Marla's Caribbean Kitchen close down, though, which is a restaurant that I've always loved and think is a great um – was a great staple to the community, but just not one that people really knew about. So, I mean, if there's one thing that I'd love to see change, I have a long
1: story that you have to read, and everybody's got to read about her older brother, Harry Singh.
2: Oh, I read it. You read it? That it just already. came out. Whoa. Yeah, it was yeah, in the it burger. Just... It was in the burger one. Yeah, yeah I just read it.
1: I didn't even think people subscribers had that yet. Yes, yeah. see, yeah, it was great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, that's the kind of thing I kind of want to get everybody into Harry Singh's before that closes because it's like. You know, the writing's on the wall. He, he said that his last – his landlord told him her last offer for his building was $2.5 million. Crazy. And everyone has their price, you yeah. know. And he's um, – you know, he's been a treasure in this community for 30-odd years. And and that's – we're going to lose the knowledge of how to do that stuff. He learned to cook over, you know, wood fire in the mm-hmm. backyard. Like we're not going to know how to do that. that right. uh, and so that makes me sad. Anyway, people should go to Harry's before – um Before the march of time takes uh harry 's from us as well
2: but I think that that 's an interesting part about this market that i that that i 'd love to see improve a little bit too is that you know the focus is always on what 's new right, which it has to be for for a lot so of, much. A, a lot of what the publications are and because of social media it's it 's very quick and it 's easy. I was talking to a guest the other night, and he had said to me um you know, yeah, whenever a restaurant is like five years old, you know, maybe it's too old, Then and you sort of move on, and I'm like, five years? I'm like, five years is not old in a restaurant world, you know? I mean, do you know how many restaurants fail before they even get to five years? Once you hit five, you're like, oh my God, that's great. We finally hit this milestone. Let's continue to go, um, you know? And, and and I just, I I always wonder, like, how do you continue to do that? How do you continue to keep the energy alive, keep people excited, keep the food going that's, that's fun and delicious. But a lot of it is consistency. It has to be consistent. I was at French Laundry's 25-year anniversary party a couple of weeks ago celebrating that. Think about that. restaurant's been around for 25 years and it still sells out within minutes, two months in advance, or maybe even more. I don't even know how, how much in advance they do it. But um, it's pretty remarkable to think that that's been around for 25 years and still so heavily celebrated. You know, it's I think going back and I so think those are way. now
1: turning into kind of bucket life list things. You know, people think, oh, yeah, I, do. I in my existence, I want to get to French Laundry. I want yeah. to get to Alinea. I want to get to I've always I've never been to Arpege. That's been on my life yeah. list that I don't seem to ever get to.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's actually that's a great perspective. I never thought about it that way, but I think you're 100 percent right. When I talk to guests, that's what they always say. Like, I have to get to French Laundry at least once, you know, and I'm like, go twice. Yeah you know I mean it's it's amazing I mean you you know go for lunch and then go for dinner it's too Completely different. Not on the same day. Don't go on the same day. You'll <laughs> you be, be full. To. You can't stomach that.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, I just could talk to you for hundred hours, Kevin Case, and thank you for giving me your busy Saturday before you go on vacation. I hope you get all the good beach time with your kids thank you. and uh, come back refreshed. And uh, thank you for everything you've given to this community.
2: My pleasure. Thanks so much.
1: All right. When we come back. We're going to talk raspberries. Raspberries in the backyard. Raspberries at the farmer's market. Raspberries on your tart. Raspberries in your pie. Raspberries in your cocktails. We're going crazy. Hog wild for raspberries this week when we come back. Dara here. I felt like we were gonna have some breaking news of the raspberries. They're wet if they're getting rained on. That's my breaking news with the raspberries right now. All right. Did you go to the farmers market this week? Did you see just pints and pints of raspberries? Did you buy them all and then not know what you were gonna do? No, you probably have your your favorite recipe, but whatever. Let's just say theoretically. The sound of my voice makes you think, I'm going to go to the farmer's market tomorrow, get myself a pint, couple of pints of raspberries, then I'm going to make everything because you got to live large in July. That's very important. Here are the recipes that are up at wccoradio.com right now, including, you love Beth Julie, right? We've had her on the show a few times. She's got a raspberry jam recipe that doesn't cook. The berries, you're not all just dumping them in a pot and boiling them away, which is fine, but they taste boiled. She's got a put them in a low-temperature oven, and you're dehydrating them a bit, but you're not cooking them, so they still taste really fresh. Um, friend, <laughs> uh, I saw a recipe online, Um, somebody was talking this week about uh, uh, doing this in your backyard with the sun, so you put all of your berries on the, on cookie sheets in the sun, but I live in the city and if I did that, I would have squirrels in there in a minute, so I don't know, I think the oven for me not environmentally friendly, but what are you going to do okay, did I put up a recipe for fresh raspberry pie? you know I did, it's just the one one of life's perfect recipes call your friends, that's a good thing to do, carry it around brag raspberry pie, come on That's amazing stuff. And then, because I needed more recipes, (laughs) I was kind of, for the longest time, I was like, do people want to do raspberry scones or raspberry muffins? I went with muffins. I have a great recipe for a a sugar-crusted raspberry muffin. Though you can also do these with frozen, but not really what this week is about. Okay, back to what this week is about. I love the flavor of raspberries and cream together. I know this is not really groundbreaking stuff. Everybody does. But it's one of life's perfect pairings, whipped cream and raspberries. So I found a raspberry cream tart where you're taking whipped cream and mascarpone cheese and just making a a very light base, and then you can put the berries in. And if you're really fussy, you can sit there and make a perfect pattern, and you should because you only get a couple raspberries in season weeks all year. So good. All right, and then because you need a drink after a week we've had, I have a recipe for the Floridora. The Floridora was one of those pre-prohibition cocktails, an American classic. It's gin, ginger ale, lime, raspberries. Put the raspberries in the glass first, and you smash them, you muddle them. You can, in fact, use the raspberries that don't look too hot from the bush for this project. And that is how you have a cocktail party in raspberry season. All right, we come back. Let am get to your questions. You can ask me anything. You can text us, and I will answer them when we come back. All right, Dara here. I have somebody on Twitter, where I am at, the Dara Dara, has told me that I am doing my raspberry and wrong, and I need to make what is called a Victoria Sandwich. It's the ultimate English sponge cake, and then you put Raspberry jam in the middle, so yeah, that sounds good. You should do that. You should invite me over. Good times. All right. So, other questions I have had. uh, Let's see. This week, um, got a question of what is natural wine? You know, that's a great question. Okay, so natural wine is, you know, people kind of. Think about natural wine as having as few modern technological interventions as possible. So, no, if you go into a modern wine laboratory, there's a lot of things they can do to make things taste better. They have special filters, they can add coloring, you know, they can um, add different fining agents and, and all kinds of things. So, first of all, you take out all of those chemical additions. And if you think, Oh, I didn't know that there are these chemical manipulations going on with my wine. Unfortunately, there are even in high-end wines, and especially if you're if you're drinking around the ten dollar price point, you're drinking manipulated wine all the time. It might be you might prefer it that way. You know, it, it it takes out a lot of flaws. Wines used to have many flaws back in the day. Now they don't. And so, natural wine is stuff that is made sort of. Without as few interventions as possible. So they're not putting sulfur in the barrels. Uh, they're not putting, um, you know, using all these filtering or, or color additives, things like that. A lot of people believe it should not be irrigation as well. Uh, and then when you kind of take away all the crutches, you get a very different wine at the end. It might have really weird color. That's where these orange wines come from. Or it might have different flavors like like a baseball glove or cigar smoke on leaves or just things that are are unusual. You may say, I do not want cigar smoke on leaves. That is not a thing for me. Well, that's what many people have thought, and that's why it's a very niche part of wine. I think it's probably 1% of production. But uh, just kind of like very peaty scotch or very dark chocolate, the people that like it love it. And so the natural wine uh, universe is is getting more and more powerful because the people that love it love it to bits. If you want to try some right now, you're like, I can't wait for this wine bar, which will be called Bar Brava. It's kind of a generic name to my mind. But anyway, Bar Brava is supposed to open in the fall. Uh, I wrote about it at mspmag.com. If you're thinking, I can't wait for Bar Brava to open, there's a wine shop in town called Henry and Son. Henry & Son has the natural wine selection. That's that's where you go to get that kind of stuff. If you're thinking, I want weird things to drink, go to Henry and & Son and ask them. They'll hook you up. Um, all right. <laughs> That'd be a Chad Harmon fan. Wants to know if, if jelly rolls are overrated. My friend, no one ever talks to me about jelly rolls. I The, la- the only time anyone's ever talked to me about jelly rolls... As I was down in uh, the Bahamas where they love them. So I would say underrated. You Make a good jelly, then you roll it up in a cake. That's, that's underrated. All right, so what is happening next week on Off the Menu? Why? Eric Sannerud from Mighty Axe Hops is coming on. We're going to talk about what he has experienced now that he has a bunch of years under his belt growing hops in Minnesota. Do they really taste different? And, you know, hopefully better. Do they taste better in some useful way than the hops that grow in Germany or the ones that grow in Washington state. We will find out. All right. So till then, may the road you walk be as smooth as jelly, but not not nearly so sticky. And I will meet you here next week on Off the Menu.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?